0: We're going to be uh, looking at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be um, looking at the subject of praying together um, this morning. Um, and obviously that's quite a familiar passage to most of us, to a lot of us. It's the Lord's Prayer. Um, and uh, Matthew's Gospel, if you're, not, if you're kind of new to Christianity or new to all of this, Matthew's Gospel is the first book in the New Testament. It's a, it's a story of Jesus' life. Um, but Matthew's Gospel, you may already know this, is kind of broken down around kind of five teaching blocks. Um, and we're kind of going to be in the first one this morning. Often that first one's called the Sermon on the Mount. But it's quite helpful when you go through Matthew to actually see these five teaching blocks with narrative in between them. It starts with a prologue at the beginning, of course. But um, we're going to be in the first of those today and looking at eight verses. So let me read you Matthew 6. If you've got a Bible, um, it's Matthew chapter 6, um, verses 5 to thirteen, And as I say, this is kind of the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus is teaching his disciples. So here we go, Matthew 6, 5 to 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Why don't we just pray just briefly here? Father, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this teaching that Jesus gave on prayer that is so well known, Lord. I, I just pray, calm Holy Spirit. Come and take these words, may they jump off this page into us and change us. Lord Jesus, change us. Help us to grow in prayer. Help us, Lord. Come, we pray. Amen. Two really good books on prayer. I'd recommend that, um, one by Richard Foster, which is just called Prayer. If you're looking for a book to read, um, or another one by Pete Gregg, which came out in the last year called How to Pray. I'd really recommend those two books. Um, a bit different in what they say, um, but really useful. Uh, as front covers are on the screen, so if I can have a look at those. So what we're going to do is just stick quite closely to this passage um, today. But I just wonder, how do you feel about prayer? How are you and prayer? Um, I guess there's a variety of responses to that question Um, and some of us got really good prayer lives we've been faithful over many years um, and we are actually for some reason we're quite good at praying um, and being disciplined in that some of us are new to it and um, we're just kind of asking the question, well, how do you do this? I mean, it's one of those questions that I've been asked a number of times over the years. People say to me, "That nah, I'd love to be able to pray better. Like, what, what are your tips? You know, what, what, what would you say? You know, it's one of those things that, particularly if we're new to it, we could be asking, how do you actually do this thing? Um, maybe you're struggling to do it regularly, um, but you'd like that to be different. Or maybe you've given up altogether um, because of unanswered prayers. Struggles, hurts, things that have gone on, and um, or maybe you 've been simply distracted, um, and I know from my own experience that prayer and from chatting to people, prayer can can often feel like this uphill, this uphill thing, and i 've thought about that over the years, and I thought, why is that? Um, and I wonder if this just, these are some of my thoughts. I think our culture has conditioned us to be people that desire instant gratification, so if we have to wait for something. Um, we're not that keen on it. We, we expect to push a button and get it now. Um, whether it's Amazon Prime or whether it is, you know, things right there, right now, we want it tomorrow. Um, and I think sometimes I'm seduced by that. Um, and I feel like talking to God isn't a good use of my time. I think also our culture has conditioned us to want entertainment, um, and prayer involves work, and, um, and sometimes we, we just want to be entertained. I think also our cultures condition us to be kept at a safe distance from, th- from pain. And actually, there's something about if you don't feel pain for someone or situation, you can often lack the enthusiasm to actually pray for it. I think also our lives can become very safe and we lack risk, and actually, we don't need God to turn up because there's, nothing, there's no risk in our lives. Um, and of course, sometimes sin gets in the way and sometimes evil forces actually oppose prayer. Prayer is always contested. Richard Foster in that book I mentioned at the very beginning of that book, he says this, he says, today we yearn for prayer and hide from prayer. We are attracted to it and repelled by it. We believe prayer is something we should do, even something we want to do, but it seems as if a chasm stands between us and actually praying. And I don't know if that resonates with your experience at all. and I'm sure these disciples, you know, the Jews would have been very familiar with prayer. These disciples in their adult lives would have probably prayed every day. Um, and we're told in Luke 11, where this similar story is in Luke chapter 11, that they actually ask him, teach us to pray. And he must surely, Jesus must have been asked on more than one occasion for advice on prayer. And Jesus' response is interesting. I don't know if you noticed um, what he says here in the first few verses. But he doesn't say, the thing he doesn't say is, oh, don't worry about it. Just just do whatever you want, mate. Just do how it. Go whatever you feel. Jesus doesn't say that. And actually, the first two things he says here in verse 5, 6, 7, and 8 is he highlights two things not to do when you pray. And I'm sorry about that. It's a slightly negative way to stand. Maybe we should have had a word with Jesus and said, you know, you need one positive before a negative and another positive after your positive sandwich, whatever it is. Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. Um, and I was thinking, you know, sometimes it is quite a kind thing to tell people you're getting it wrong. You know, I think me and Gideon did the uh, 5K run along the beach yesterday. And um, I remember when I first sort of started to do some running, I was sort of running in shoes like this. And somebody said to me, you kind of really hurt your feet if you don't get some proper running shoes. Well, that was a very kind thing to say, actually, because I would have hurt my feet if I'd carried on just running these things. So it is actually quite a loving and kind thing sometimes just to tell you um, where you're going wrong. And that's what Jesus does here. So verse 5 and 6, it says, Do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogue, street corners, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door. Your father is unseen. Your father will see it, he's unseen. I love the message version of this. It says this, and when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular shout out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. You know, prayer is not a performance. You know, it's not something to stick up on Facebook necessarily. God is in the secret place. And I think the point is, it's focused on God. It's time with God that he sees. And that doesn't mean, of course, that prayer can't be in a public setting. That doesn't mean we can't do it with other people. Um, But the focus is God. So that's Jesus' first tip, you know, don't make a show out of it. Secondly, in verse 7 and 8, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think it will be heard because there are many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. You know, imagine these pagans who are worshipping these gods, they don't know the real God. And often, I think, from what I've read, they are shouting at these false gods, louder and louder, hoping for an answer. And, you know, we have a Father God who, he knows what we need. The true God. He's attentive to us. He's looking out for us. The pagans don't know this, but we don't need to demand God's attention with lots of words. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying it's not about your own efforts. You know, we come to God through Jesus, whether I've had a good day or a bad day, whether I've been a good boy or a bad boy, I come through Jesus. My confidence is in God, not in me. And Jesus says it, don't keep on babbling. You know, I think some of my most powerful times in prayer have actually been in silence. And actually there have been points in my life when, to be honest, silence has been the only prayer that I've felt able to give. I've sat there, kneeled there in silence. And... I think that's okay because you can't run at the same pace the whole time. You know, you need rhythms in prayer. There are going to be different types of prayer. It says in Ecclesiastes 5.2, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Um. And this ability to get it wrong in prayer, um, I think we see it in our culture. I had this quote from Russell Brand, you know Russell Brand, he's kind of gone from comic to a spiritual guru, hasn't he? Um, and he' puts these videos out on Twitter, and he's had this one about prayer. And it was all about him releasing his inner me and discovering mes that weren't me, and you know the way Russell Brand talks. Um, and, uh, and I thought, "What a load of garbage) <laughs> Um, and you know it could be really easy for prayer basically to be this kind of because sort of meditation mindfulness those things are kind of popular in our culture and they're okay I guess but it's sort of this this sense that I'm sort of draw, my prayer life is me drawing a better me out from me and I mean, that's not Christian prayer at all it's with me at the centre Christian prayer is God at the centre coming through Jesus there's a nice little diagram have a have a quick look have a quick look at that um, there's a God at the centre Jesus, through Jesus, we come, and me is that little green-white dot on the side there. God is the big idea in prayer, in Christian prayer. It is God that we come to, and it's this kind of Trinitarian nature that we come, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray, we come through Jesus to God the Father. And actually, the arrow from God to us, God has wanted to do way more towards us often than we are heading towards him. That sense that... um, yeah, God. Put God at the centre. Anyway, enough of the negative. There's, there's two things that Jesus says not to do. So what does Jesus actually say to do? He gives us this framework. And the way I'd like to split it down, the Lord's Prayer, really, is just in three things. Let's see if you can remember these. Give glory to God, and then pray for things on God's heart, and then pray for things on your heart. So give glory to God, pray for things on your, or God's heart, and then pray for things on your heart. What do I mean by that? And of course these things overlap, don't they? Like we can have a heart for the things God's got a heart for and he certainly has a heart for the things that are on our lives. But it begins by our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, God is a good Father who protects us, provides us, loves us no matter what. Um, And God, that's the thing, God is there waiting for you. This good Father is waiting for you. There's no need to want other people's approval. Hallowed be your name. You know, when we turn our attention off ourselves and onto God I'm constantly amazed when you start prayer by looking to God how so much of the other things you think you were worried about fall away actually and I was struck by um, this quote from Jackie Pullinger that um, talks about sunbathing and it says this I always start by sunbathing that's what prayer is like I turn my face to God like you turn your face to the sun. I have a list of things to talk to him about, but I never get to the list because he spends nearly all the time saying how beautiful I am. He's extravagant about it, and I get embarrassed. I say, thank you very much. Could we talk about work? And he usually says, no, I want to tell you how much I love you. Most of my prayer time is sunbathing in God's approval. And there is something beautiful, actually, about just turning, as you begin prayer, you just turn your face to God. And just allow him, just wait for his love to hit you. It's so powerful. And you begin to enjoy him. Like if you never enjoy God, you're going to find it hard to sustain a prayer life. You're going to find it hard to sustain a Christian life. Um, You'll love this one. The Westminster Shorter Catechism from 1647 uh, says this. Man's chief aim, end, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 1647, they had it. Uh, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But some bathing isn't all we do. Jesus said we should ask and receive. And next up in verse 10, we see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will on this earth is not automatic. Um, and when we pray this prayer, what we're doing really is we're asking for that future reign of God to come into the present, that the kingdom of God would be erupting in our present reality. The sick would be healed. The lost would be saved. The poor would be lifted out of poverty. The lonely and the hurting would be brought into a family. And those enslaved by evil powers would be set free. We're praying, Lord, your kingdom come. That future reign when Jesus will reign on the earth. Come now. Bring that future reign into this present reign. May it erupt out. And may we see it. Because I think it's the Christians, our responsibility as the church to pray on behalf of those that don't know God. Because if, if the church doesn't pray, who's going to? You know, If the church isn't praying for its local area or the world or its leaders, who else is going to? I heard Terry Virgo, um, who's an older guy now, but he's a church leader, and he said this once he spoke on prayer, and he read this quote from a guy called P.C. Forsyth. He said, Lose the real conflict of will and will. Lose the habit of wrestling and the hope of prevailing with God. Make it mere walking with God in friendly talk, and precious as that is, yet you tend to lose the reality of prayer. Terry went on to say, now some of you say, I don't set aside a time of prayer. I just kind of talk to God as I walk down the road. And I think that's wonderful. And I'm not not very good at that. And I don't want to rob you of that. But Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and let's get down to some work. We've got to be careful, haven't we, in the gentlest possible way I say this, you know, that we don't just turn prayer into kind of just friendly talk when I'm in the car. As wonderful as that is, as Terry says here, you know, there's something about these two, a clash of wills, a clash of kingdoms that Jesus invites us to enter into. I remember um, a church I used to lead, I had a load of young men as part of it, and uh, what we, we used to have this prayer room in this house. And uh, I remember one night we organised this prayer um, meeting or I think it may be a weekend of 24-7 prayer and we had all these young blokes and upstairs we were watching Die Hard and we went through all four of them. Um, there's five now but the fifth one's awful so that was the fifth one. Um, but we were going through this and then we sort of high-five each other and one of these young blokes who was on our football team really would go downstairs to the prayer room, do an hour in prayer and then come back up and catch up where Bruce Willis was in Die Hard. And I remember thinking yeah there's something there's something that was so beautiful in, in, getting, in sort of getting these guys sort of pray together in this sort of crazy Bruce Willis type way but it was and then we watched Braveheart and there's this bit in Braveheart where basically the Scots are trying to storm this castle and they've got this battering ram up against the um, drawbridge and they're all kind of rallying around it and they're they're struggling and then they call more of their mates or mates you know soldiers whatever you want to call them Scottish blokes Um, and And they come and they, and they rally behind this battering ram. They're smashing it and people are throwing hot coals down and they're shooting arrows down them and yet more of them are coming and they're banging they're banging and they finally get this hole through. And that sense that there was this call, come on, come on, help us. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Come and join us. I know a few of you are falling off and some of you are finding it hard, but we're going to get there. Come and join us together. We're going to pray for God's kingdom to come. Got excited there, didn't I? So sometimes... <laughs> It's going to be this time, I don't want to, you know, it's sunbathing, enjoying God's presence. But there's also this thing about rolling up our sleeves and getting involved in the unglamorous and difficult work of intercessory prayer on behalf of others. The year I got married, well, it was the year before I got married I think, um, I think I told you this last bit about this last time, but I moved to this house on this, um, right next to this kind of rough area in the, on the edge of South London and um, after and I've been there a few months, I remember an older lady, well she wasn't that old actually but she was a lot older than me um, and um, she came up to me at the church I was going to and she said, how's it going, how's it going, you know, heard you moved down to that area and how's it going and I said, um, I, said well, uh, I felt a bit embarrassed actually, I said well I'm, I'm building relationships with my neighbours and, um, and I'm doing a lot of praying and she looks at me dead in the eye and she said and I kind of almost apologised, I wasn't doing more stuff, she looked me dead in the eye and she said prayer is the work <laughs> prayer is the work and I was like oh yeah <laughs> you know I think, I'd think i always thought prayer was something you do before you do the work that <laughs> actually prayer was something before you then go and actually do the real stuff and she looks at me and i never forget it it, was, it altered my life, you know prayer prayer is the work prayer is the work and um, yes, yeah, it stuck with me, um, stuck with me. I remember um, somebody once said to me, systems beat intentions. Anyone ever said that to you? Probably not. Um, systems beat intentions. <laughs> Imagine you've got two people, right? And, they, and one of them says to the other guy, he says, uh, I want to get fit. I'm going to get fit. And he says, I'm going to join a gym. And he joins a gym and the other guy says, I'm not bothered about getting fit, it's fine. Go and join a gym, mate. Get down to the Wave, it's nice there, isn't it? Um, And uh, he's got a new membership at the Wave on the seafront and um, he goes for a week and then he never goes again. Anyway, the other guy wasn't interested in getting fit. Um, His bike, his car breaks down that week and he has to cycle to work and they can't fix his car. So he ends up having to cycle to work for the next six months. Now, which of those two guys actually got fit? Was it the guy who had the intention to get fit and went for a week? Or was it the guy had a system in place which meant he had to get fit? Because he didn't have a choice because his car broke down. And there was something there, isn't there, about having a look at our lives and having a look at our as a lives as a, as a congregation and saying, what systems do we have in place? Because all of us, I think, or most of us, maybe not all of us, all of us will kind of drift away from regular prayer time or, or keeping it as a priority if we're not careful. A bit like that guy who wanted to go to the gym but only went for a week. And I guess I'd ask you, what is God calling you to pray for, for his kingdom to come in this world, in this area? What is that? I mean, maybe you've got things on your heart. You've got a bee in your bonnet about certain things. Um, but I encourage, if you don't have a, a bee in your bonnet, get one. Um, about Little Hampton, or about Rustington, or about Syria, or about the lost, or the broken, or the lonely you know, these are the things we want to see that, what I was saying earlier the erupting of God's kingdom into this present age and, and we're going to be kidding ourselves if we think prayer ain't at the uh, heart of that and I know I probably need a stir about that and to think through my systems in place what have I got you know, and, and sometimes those things break down you have to sort of work through new ones um, but I'd really encourage you ask that question God, what are you calling me to pray for? What are you calling me? To seek your kingdom. So, those things on God's heart. And then, very quickly, things on our heart. And um, we're just going to whiz through these, really. But, um, verse 11 Give us this day our daily bread. You know, we look to God for our needs. He isn't too big to care for the little things that matter to us. I always think, um, I remember I was struggling once thinking that God didn't really care about the needs I had. And I was in a tent, um, I think. I seem to remember on holiday camping, and I just remember 1 Peter 5, 7 came to me, and it was just, you know, cast all your cares on God, because he cares for you. You know, and I just just flipped my thinking, I thought, no, God cares about me, I can ask God for the, my daily needs, nothing is too small. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, we need forgiveness oh man what a gift Not a week goes by when I think what a gift this is that God forgives my sin that God forgives my failures and for those of us who've known God's forgiveness in our lives we are called with a difficult task of forgiving others you know that challenge will not go away that we are called to forgive those who have hurt us as well and Jesus says a bit more about that in this passage that we're not going to look at Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, again, we can ask God to help us when we're tempted. And deliver us from evil. Sometimes that is the absolute right thing to do if you're struggling. Actually, say, God, deliver me. Please deliver me from evil. I don't understand what's going on. I need that prayer. Deliver me from evil. Not just for me, but for the community as well. Because what Jesus is calling out in this passage, really, is empty religious practices. And as much as we might like to think that doesn't include us, (laughs) um, it can refer to us, can't it? We could be as much revolved in empty religious practices as any other Christians, and if we're not careful. Because what this is about is having intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with the Father. Pete Gregg says this, can I be honest with you? I'm not actually into prayer, I'm into Jesus. (laughs) So we talk. I don't believe in the power of prayer, I believe in the power of God, so I ask him for help a lot. Pray, give glory to God, pray for things on God's heart, pray for things on your heart, and finally, really the whole summing up of this passage is that Jesus wants to help us too. You know, these disciples came to Jesus or in Luke 11, and he's here teaching them in Matthew 6, and they're asking for help. And that, wonderful truth is however much of a mess we are we shouldn't be phased by that mess actually of our lives or our prayer lives Jesus wants to help us it isn't us trying to get it all together um, Jesus Jesus wants to help us there's that wonderful promise in James 4 it says draw near to God and he will draw near to you and I don't know how prayer has been for you in the past few years um, But I know, actually, it can be different from today, actually. Um, And it's Jesus who's going to help us in his grace, his love for us, his power. He's going to help us to pray if we ask him to. Why do we pray? Band, why don't you come up? I don't know where you're at in prayer, but why don't we um, just have a moment? quiet? I know we had one there already, but just if you want to close your eyes, we'll stand in a moment. But if you want to close your eyes, or Jesus, wherever we are at in prayer, as individuals, as families, as a church. Jesus, we come before you and recognise our need for you and say, please come by your spirit and help us to pray. Whatever's got in the way, whatever's going on, whatever has been going on, Jesus, come and teach us afresh your heart for prayer. Encounter us, Lord, I pray. Encounter us. Pour out your spirit, I pray.